Hello, welcome to the next episode of our West Coast Infidels podcast series. Once again, this is Vasant, and I have with me our usual suspects, Vijay Kumar and Ramakrishnan. Today, our focus will be on previewing the third test of the ongoing Border Gavaskar Trophy series. The test will now be played at the Holkar Stadium in Indore, as opposed to the originally planned venue, which was a picturesque ground in Dharamsala. The abrupt change in venue did not go down very well with a lot of folks who had planned to attend the third test, many of whom did end up losing money as travel plans had to be cancelled or altered. Still, remains a mystery as to why BCCA waited for so long to make this decision when apparently it was very clear that Dharamsala would simply not be ready. We will also be spending a few minutes talking about the Women's T20 World Cup and then segue to what will become the centerpiece of women's cricket, namely the Women's Premier League. That will be starting in Mumbai in a few days. The Border Gavaskar Trophy has been retained by India. And along with that, South Africa has been mathematically eliminated from the WTC 2023 race. Unless, of course, a lot of points are lost by India or Australia due to overrated violations, Sri Lanka is still mathematically in the race, requiring them to blank New Zealand away. An unlikely scenario as the Black Caps might want to exact some revenge after their struggles against England. In the meantime, the Australian squad is seeing a lot of changes with Cummins, Hazelwood, Warner and Agar out of consideration for the third test, as possibly for the rest of the series. India has retained the same squad, but the change in the vice-captaincy could suggest that KL Rahul will be dropped from the playing level. While the final result of both previous games suggests that India rode roughshod of the Aussies, that could not be further from the truth. In his latest podcast, R. Ashwin was pretty matter-of-fact about how India won the phases that mattered, and hence the 2-0 lead. In the same episode, he also talked about the varying conditions from venue to venue and why that makes it all the more tougher for a visiting team in India. Without further ado, though, let us get into the preview of the third test at the Holkar Stadium, which is one of the smaller cricket grounds in India, with very small square boundaries of less than 60 meters, with the straight boundaries being about 70 meters. The seating capacity is around 30,000. It also means that we will see full houses during the game. Ram, a couple of questions for you. Will Smith taking over the steering wheel make a difference to Aussie fortunes for this upcoming test? And will the return of Cameron Green, who is fully fit, make a tangible difference? Firstly, it's really sad that Cummins won't be here to captain the team and Smith will stand and say, Smith is competent, but really feel bad for Cummins. The situation has taken him back home and he may not come back even for the fourth test if things don't improve at home. So anyway, my sympathy is with him on that. Smith, he's captain in the subcontinent before, he captain in India in the last series. Certainly, to me, is a better captaincy candidate than Cummins. Cummins, I thought, was still kind of coming to terms with the idea of captaincy in India, not bowling himself in the fourth innings in Delhi as an example. I suspect Smith may be a little more proactive, make the smarter bowling changes, and I do expect him to use Cameron Green as his new ball bowler. So that decision, I suppose, has also been made easier. Because, you know, neither Hazelwood nor Cummins are available now. And I don't see them going back to bowling, actually. So let's talk about Green some more. Definitely feels like having Green in the squad allows them to do that one thing that they have not had the guts to do so far, which is to play five bowlers. At the last part, we basically said after the way they lost the North protest, they would do well to play that fifth bowler. They chose not to do that instead. Sort of stuck with some overs from head and then some overs from, I think, head bowled Manas. But they do really need a proper fifth bowler. And if Green is that proper fifth bowler and 
they are able to not compromise their batting order, play six batters, carry at seven, and give the new ball to Green. I think that will do wonders to at least the balance, which I really think they've struggled with. And then, of course, there is this loss of Warner. Some may argue that's actually a good thing. I don't blame them. Warner has had a poor record in India. And in that one chance that he got playing at the top of the order, he was going after the bowling, some sort of slam man technique. So he was at least trying to get some runs as compared to Warner, who was really looking uncomfortable at the crease. So from my perspective, given all of this, I think the 11 that Australia are going to field will be Kwaja and Head at the top, Marnus Smith and Hanscom at 3, 4 and 5 respectively. I mean, Hanscom definitely is going to play ahead of all of the others. And then Green will come in at 6, Carry at 7. And then finally, we're going to see Stark come in place of Cummins. And then they will stay with the three spinners, the two off spinners and the left arm Kuneman as well. From an Indian perspective, here's what I'm thinking. The stripping of the vice-captaincy tag for Rahul is certainly a sign of things. The fact that they haven't appointed somebody else is interesting in passing, but it does seem to me that the management, I mean, despite all the noises that they make in the pressers, have definitely come down to this place where I think Gil will replace Rahul at the top. Rahul has not looked comfortable, looks patchy, unsure of himself, and when you're unsure, you also turn unlucky. All of that has been happening. So one change for me from the last test to this test, Gil comes in, nothing else changes. So the question is, with indoor, the short boundary and everything, will this game extend beyond three days? That is the big question, right? Indoor is the birthplace of what Mr. Rahul thinks the dressing room is named after him at the Holkar Stadium. Therein lies your clue what to do if you want to be natural here at the indoor stadium. That is to bat long and play soft and play straight. Be very judicious with your short selection. That has been lacking from both top orders, and they should take a leaf out of the book of the guy who was born here and then made his name as the wall. Apart from that, the pitch, it's now red soil, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if it makes any difference for the Australian, mm-hmm. but the pitch will again be talked about, right? I think you can expect the red soil to be dry. It'll be crumbling and there'll be puffs of dust coming along and, you know, Famously, Michael Vaughan was two years ago when he called the Chennai pitch a beach. So surprising is very quiet looking at the pitch in New Zealand or the lack of pitch. I think they're playing on the green. <laughs> so all this goes back to Ashwin's uh, video that has resurfaced, this video that he basically was answering a journalist. I think this was made two years ago to the day, actually, about the red soil pitches. He basically asked the journalists to define what good pitch is and what the behavior should be on a given day. So we are kind of giving it back to all these prejudiced look at what a cricket game should be. And I think the game at indoor will be further testament to the fact that cricket in Siena will not be the same as cricket in the Southeast Asian part of the world. That said, the toss has kind of become irrelevant so far, although Australia won both times and batted given. But how the first two tests went, I would still say that who bats last will still matter and what score they will be chasing will be crucial. The odds are stacked against Australians. Wasn't you noted last time how teams scoring about 200 has become a let alone, you know, get a lead over India or host a big score. So it's going to be chasing the eight ball from the very time anybody walks into the game. 
from the Australian perspective, I think we can expect the Australians not named Kwaja to use the sweep more selectively. I think Kwaja has kind of resigned himself to the sweep shot. He's not going to change it anymore. But Stark and Green are valuable additions to the batting lineup. Forget bowling, but I think from a batting perspective, I mean, Stark has even scored a 99 here, not in indoor, but you know, in India. But for Green, this is his first test in the subcontinent, test in layers. Uh, so it's really going to be something that the team management look at to see how they are going to groom him from this point on. But there was an interesting side note. Yeah, Smith will be leading the team this time around. But speculation has always started as to who will replace Cummins for the longer stint. And it looks like Head is the front runner right now. And they might start looking at him as the vice captain. I don't know if they announced a vice captain for this game either. But it'll be interesting to see who they will pick as the vice captain for this test. They had announced Steve Smith as the vice captain prior to Cummins moving out, correct? Correct. But but who will be the vice-captain? They may just go the Indian route and not announce the vice-captain at all. No, I do think Carey will be made the vice-captain. I think he has captained Australia in some white ball game and he's been the vice-captain. So I will not be surprised if they just make a sweeping call and make Carey the vice-captain. And being the wicket-keeper, he'll come handy when there is a rest. So, yeah. (laughs) So it'll be interesting to see which way they go. But otherwise, I agree with your choice of teams, with my gut feeling being that India will go unchanged, despite all of the noise around KL Rahul. I don't know how the team is absorbing all this news. Typically, they are tuned out of all the media and all of these things. There are a few things we need to kind of understand. Just forget the noise. Yeah, he's still in his mid-30s as far as average is concerned. But if you just look at Indian openers at the 40 test match or below, kind of a filter. He's somewhere in the middle. He's not exceptionally good from an average standpoint, uh, but he's not at the bottom either. There are some illustrious names in the bottom, like one Mr. Krishnamachari Srikanth. He's actually was in the 20 or something. And right below KL Rahul in that list is actually SS Das. (laughs) Who knows if that will come into discussion. It won't, but I think they'll give a go to KL Rahul. That's just my gut feeling, given how team management has gone about doing things. And I don't think they explicitly said that KL Rahul is no longer the vice captain either. It is just how people have gleamed the the news from the list that was shared, that there was no vice captain named. So, yeah, certain things have not changed, but a lot more has changed. So... Can't wait for the third test to start and have India cement their place in the WTC final, which is still not guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would like for India to win this one and the next one. So win the series 4-0 and then we equip the Sri Lankans to beat New Zealand 2-0. And if that happens, Australia will be out. It will be India against Sri Lanka playing the final. And it's that kind of a situation I would seriously fancy our chances at that point. Very far-fetched. We may still win 4-0, but I do not see Sri Lanka winning 2-0 against uh, New Zealand, despite the fact that they're going to lose 2-0 against uh, England now. But hey, we can hope. That would be an interesting uh, turn of uh, events if if such a thing were to happen. I didn't realize that Australia can still be eliminated. I thought they were through. Thanks, guys, for your thoughts. As regards the Indian team, think Gil will play ahead of Rahul. Mm. But having said that, they never said anything explicit about the vice-captainship being taken away from Rahul. 
for all we know, it might have been just a typo in the press announcement. And Jay must have said, I'm not going to redo this. It's also possible that Rahul was told that you get to play the series, you score, you stay. Otherwise, you're back to the Ranji. So we will never know what really happens within the team. It's all the external noise. At the end of the day, the team management will do precisely what they want. And as long as they don't lose, nobody's going to lift a finger. With regards to the pitch, I'm convinced the small mistake happened in Wellington. The guys who were supposed to paint the lines went and painted on the wrong side. There were two other pitches wherein they're supposed to have done the lines. And they drew the lines. And then these guys came and said, oh, man, we can't remove the paint. Let's play on this one. No, I switched on the TV. I literally shouted, they pitching it. I would think that small square boundaries is an invitation to sweep. I'm not saying that they will connect. I'm just saying, is it an invitation to sweep? Because they are not going to connect. The ball is going to make contact with the pad and the stumps. We know that. Once again, I'm hoping for Kohli to hit 100 and for Ayer to just seal off that number five position as his own. And ideally, if we win that toss, the game can be finished after day one or day two. Put up a big 500 plus score and then field for two more days. Australia, do you think there's a chance that they'll go with only two spinners and not three and bring in either Bowler to lock up one end or have they retained that fast guy? Whatever his name is. Hans Morris, I think, is still here. Yeah, so I mean, just let him lose and see what happens. Lion probably will get a little bit more bounce. But Kuneman is not threatening anybody. Lance Morris will threaten the guys. He will be quick. Funny you say that because Kuneman wasn't all of that impressive at the last game in, at the courts now. I think you have to look at where against whom the Indians struggled last two games the most, right? Uh, the top order actually struggled a lot against okay. Lyon and Murphy. So the ball coming into the right-handers, right? Kunaman, he did get Kohli's wicket in the first innings. But oh, otherwise, yeah, he was able to hold one end. Boland is more of a defensive option. These guys might just play him out. They didn't score and he bowled uh, exclusively at Rohit and Ashwin. Didn't do much bowling at the others. So they might just play Boland out. It could be a defensive move to bring him and stem the scoring at one end and go for wickets at the other end. But I don't think Australia is at that place just yet. They need wickets. They want to really put India on the back foot on the scoring department. They don't want to like stem runs or do all of those things. So if I was the Australian team management, I'll look at who's going to get me wickets. And I think it will be more spinners than anybody else on this pitch. I like the idea of them blooding one big, fast, young, fast bowler and asking him to go full pelt instead of someone whom they'll just keep on milking between mid-wicket and square leg for over after over. You'll see a lot of runs being scored, ones and twos and ones and twos, and then these guys will wilt in the last session. Ashwin brought out a very interesting point in his short podcast, saying that how in the northern part of India, the morning moisture seeps into the wicket and the ball zips. And he pointed out how it was difficult for the batters on day one, day two, and day three. And actually, the Indian team was anticipating that the Australians would play out their morning session on day three and then come and start scoring runs in the second half. But then the game was over by the time the morning session was done. So let's see what happens. Cameron Green will be the fifth bowler and he's fully fit to bowl, which is what he said. So. Yeah, fit to bat anyway. and 
about. It's going to be his first test in India. Scaled up well, and he's definitely not the player he was at the last 2021 BJT when he was that all true. very little play. But he's definitely not that player anymore. He's getting better every day. But what he'll do in this test, first time playing in India, remains to be seen. And I think 20 without a hundred. I'm keeping count. <laughs> yeah, and, and even Green, the bowler, right? He was used primarily to give a little bit of rest to to the top three bowlers, and was not seen as a big wicket-taking option or anything like that. So even more so in these conditions, how much is he going to be effective remains to be seen. There was one gentleman who played his first test in a lot of hype around him, picked up 13 wickets in 100. We'll see whether Green does things that well. So with this, we are done with the preview of the indoor test, and it is time to jump across the fence into women's T20 cricket. A little less than three years ago, on March 8, 2020 to be precise, 86,000 people thronged the MCG to watch Australia expertly dismantle a nervy Indian team to clinch that last World Cup. In fact, for all practical purposes, the game was decided in the first over when Shefali Verma dropped a sitter of Healy. And after that, it was just a replay of the 2003 Wanderers World Cup final, which we all remember quite sadly. The scene has since shifted to South Africa, where the host nation recovered from all their pre-tournament distractions involving legendary players not being able to run fast enough. And a poor start against a minnow Sri Lankan team to make the final of the tournament. Sunil Lewis, a band of warriors, most certainly channeled the spirit of the inimitable François PNR and captured the imagination of their sports-loving nation in the way the Springboks of yore used to do. The closing stages of the semi-final could have well been seen from the movie, Invictus. Both the finalists battled through to the title game by keeping their wits about them. For all practical purposes, they won games from lost positions. And these wins all came from tremendous teamwork. Their bowlers, their fielders just played out of their skins. Those two games are really worthy of being semifinals of a prime event. Unlike the very one-sided semifinals, the men's competition from just a few months ago. However, the presence of PNR and Colisi, world champions for the South African Springboks, was not enough to take the Proteas across the line in the final. The brilliant Volvart played a fantastic inning. But at the end of the day, the all-round excellence of this legendary Australian cricket team was just a little bit too much to handle. The question has now changed to, will this hegemony be broken in 2024 at Mirpur? Many years ago, one gentleman wearing number 23 who took his team to three wins, had a little gap, and made another three wins. These guys did the same, I mean, these ladies. Three wins, a little gap, and three wins. Um, your thoughts? Meg Lanning and company win again. That's the headline. And uh, really no surprises at all about that headline. We kind of predicted this uh, even when we spoke last week about how it's just impossible to take these women on. I have to say that semifinals, uh, both of them turned out to be way more exciting than the final. For most parts of the game, it was absolutely open. Anybody could have won. I think opinions may vary on this, but I mean, India was very much in the game till that much spoken about Harman Preet run out. And after that, uh, Richard Ghosh, who was in excellent form, finishing for India in the earlier games, out, I thought that's when the game got done. And then the finals, last time in that game that you speak about was this 
unforgettable innings from Alisa Healy. And this time we got it from Beth Mooney instead. They, they just keep taking turns. Uh, each time there's a final, <laughs> one of them steps up. And though the others basically just only played, you know, small cameos here and there. You know, the moment they got to a 150-plus score, they were very much in the driver's seat. And that's really, you know, what happened. And they defended the score with such ease. Yeah, Australia are definitely the big moments team, right? It's the simplicity of their approach. You know, keep doing your basic rights, even in the crunch situation. Have that mental fortitude to not get emotions, get the better of you. So just keep doing what you're doing. So again, that Harman Pit crowd dismissal, first of all, the throw, spot on, right? Exactly. It was right over the stumps. And then Healy was not complacent. She still knocked off the bales, even though she herself admitted she thought that Kaur had made it in. You just keep doing the basics right, and then things are just swing back in your favor. It's just amazing how this simplicity just gets lost on mm-hmm. some of the other teams. Yes, yeah. and I remember that save that Ellie Perry made at 18.3. That shot, I think, Snehrana hit. It was four for all money. And then Perry comes from nowhere dives and not only saves the four but parries it directly to the fielder so that there is an immediate pickup and throw what can you do against that kind of precision and competence yeah i mean that that to me was just un- unbelievable because everybody knew that it was going to be a four but nobody told perry about it <laughs> so she decided mm-hmm. to go and stop just shifting to south africa i think their best chance was to bat first in my opinion and when that, that didn't happen and they were not able to shift the pressure to australia i think i just fell in australia's favor at that point but having said that for india just notice that in the last five years there's only been eight instances where a team playing against Australia scored over 160 and seven of them have been India. <laughs> so you can you can see that how the teams are competing, but they're still falling short. And this is five years, guys. Team India has been the only team to match up to the Aussies. May not have won more than one game, but if you remember, in fact, we beat them in an ODI in Australia and we lost one because of a dubious no-ball call. That should have been a 2-1 series win yeah. for us. We okay. had them on the run in the test match at Canberra. With a little bit of good fortune, we would have won that test match. So we do match up well. It's just that final little flourish doesn't happen. We're just waiting for someone to come and do it. And talking of a someone, let's see who's going to come through from our WPL. The first WPL season is upon us. Five teams, 22 games being played across two venues in Mumbai, both the old and Navi Mumbai. Four of the franchises have announced their captains. Harman Preet will lead Mumbai. RCB will be led by Smriti Mandana. Alyssa Healy will be leading the UP Warriors with a Z. And the Giants will be captained by Ashley Gardner. And the Capitals will probably choose Lanning given that there are no real Indian alternatives. A lot of international stars are missing. Laura Wolvart, Tasman Brits, Danny Wyatt, Sunil Luz, Bates, Sarah Glenn. Then again, there are only 30 slots available for players from permanent member nations, so this is understandable. Hopefully, they'll expand the teams and more of these wonderful players will be seen in action next year. In terms of teams and matchups, the Giants, the Gujarat Giants, have a very strong foreign contingent in Mooney, Gardner, 
Sutherland, Wareham, Dunkley and Dotton. But none of their Indian players are first choice for, for Team India. So they are completely dependent on their four foreign players to take them through. But then they do have Mooney and they do have Gardner. That's like about six people, right? The capitals have Lanning, Chefali, Rodriguez, and then the and exciting the Alice Capsi, Marizan Kapp, and Jess Jonathan. They are also supported by Poonam Yadav, who didn't play this World Cup, but who can be more than a handful on Indian pitches. Chika Pandey and Radha Yadav, the superfielder. So they are pretty well-rounded unit. RCB reminds me of Real Madrid from the mid-90s. Mandana, Perry, Heather Knight, Sophie Devine, Richard Ghosh, Megan Shoot, and Renuka Thakur. What a strong core. But then they will need four uncapped Indian players for each game. We don't know much about the uncapped Indian players, so we don't know what who they have to support this. Although I know that a lot of RCB fans have already decided that they are going to win the cup. So the chants have started. Why? No. <laughs> Surprisingly, I steered away from marquee Australian players. Skipper Corr does have support in Skiver, Milikar, and Haley Matthews. The Indian unit is weak. We have Astrakar, who spends most of her time at NCA and rehabbing and less playing. There's really no other Team India starter than Harman in that team. The UP team has the world's best keeper bat, two of the world's best all-rounders, the quickest bowler in the circuit, and the best spinner in world cricket. That is a handful. They also have the two biggest stars of the under-19 World Cup, Sharavat and Chopra, I forget her first name. So they have a very decent Indian unit too. In fact, this team is probably the only team which has already got a playing 11, ready to go. Yeah. These guys are there. So I don't have too much information to really make a prediction, but on paper, I'm leaning towards UP and Delhi, finishing at the top of the heap. Then again, our predictions are always perfect. Thoughts, Vijay? The WIPL actually has one level setting feature. Unlike the IPL, you cannot bank on local talent to get acclimatized or how to handle big Indian crowds or even play venues and things like that because our own team has not done that. So this is going to be a pretty much a level setting place. And so the team has to kind of gel based on the experience that each team has from its top marquee players, either in domestic or foreign, doesn't matter. That's why I think I, I kept asking myself this very unbiased or, you know, unprejudiced question to myself, which among these teams is the women's CSK? <laughs> <laughs> unprejudiced. And, Absolutely. Uh, no bias. <laughs> And really, what makes a CSK team? So basically, the core unit should have been playing for a long time. They should be able to get well-defined roles. The idea of not winning a sprint, but winning a marathon should be ingrained into the team. Which is why I kind of feel that the Giants are the closest to that kind of a mold, if you think about it. They have an opportunity to have these well-placed foreign players four or five of them ready, and then give them the reign to actually groom the local youngsters. So again, plan can fall in place where they are building a, a franchise, a legacy for a longer range. And compare and contrast to the other team, just like Vasant mentioned, there are very obvious gaps in the other team. While you have superstars in RCB, 
you have to ask the question that will Smriti be able to set up superstars, right? How many ideas will be flowing in? Will it be too much? If you go to Mumbai, same thing. There seems to be two or three of them. And then who else? If, if you go to UP, what is the character of the team going to look like? Who will they follow Alisa Healy as a very attacking team? And will they be able to channel such an attacking thing in a, in a short period of time? All these things are questions that almost every team will have. That's why I think you need to have like a core set of people who have done that more than others. And that's why I keep thinking giants. And of course, the Delhi team is the complete opposite of that. So that's why I say that giants being the, well, kind of just saying it out loud, but let's see if they become the CSK of this particular week. <laughs> Ram. So my vote is actually on the UP Warriors team. <laughs> and why I say that is, you know, you kind of, I mean, the point that wasn't made about RCB, right? I mean, a set of superstars and the moment you step into the, okay, who are the, who are the people who are going to make up the rest of the 11? I mean, maybe it's because I don't track the game that much. I don't know any of the names and I don't know who they are. I don't know what they bring to the table. And, you know, to the point you were making about Giants, is some of those names come into that category as well. They have somebody like a Harleen Diol who was well-known place for the country cap. But then they also have a set of other people who don't know much about. UP seems to be that only team where, you know, there are a set of proven players, both foreign and Indian, that when you look at the weakest person in the team, you still know who that is, right? They've got Kiran Navgere, who got a T20-150, I think, playing for, you know, one of the Northeast teams. And that's still a record, by the way, in domestic, because nobody nobody has made a 150, male or female, in a domestic T20. But Kiran Navgere, I mean, she was upgraded into the national team straight away, didn't do well. That's another story altogether. But clearly you know, has beginning capabilities and so forth. We already spoke about the foreign contingent in UP, solid Talia McGrath and Miss Mile. And then they have Deepthi Sharma, of course. The Deepthi Sharma piece, of course, is a bit, a bit of a controversial one because I think many expected her to be the captain of the UP team. She is a native of UP as well. But that said, the fact that they've decided to give it to Elisa Healy is an interesting one. You know, she's known to get into tiffs with the Indian fans on Twitter every now and then. She is not particularly popular, I would say, in the community right now. Just yesterday, right after the game, she was extremely critical of running, in, you know, running you know she was too slow and that's how I, that's how I was able to run out was our take on the whole affair so yeah I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that goes I think the UP warriors the social media team will be they'll be on their toes you know they, they'll have to make sure that uh, you know they uh, help Alisa Healy navigate the complexities of being a captain of an Indian team I think the Warner example is out there but yeah Alisa Healy may have to learn from him back to the, the original sort of topic my vote when I look at completeness and sort of people in terms of who they are what their capabilities are Rajeshwari Gaikwad that was another name right who also plays going to be playing for Warriors I kind of feel like you know, after the rock star people, you have a set of names that can easily fit in into the 11. The only thing I want to add for UP Warriors is that they have Devika Vaidya. And of course, she is a various niece. So we have to support her. She's <laughs> <laughs> family in Fremont or something, right? <laughs> that is true. So we are contractually obligated to support her. Looking forward to a very exciting tournament here. I mean, a lot of unknowns similar to the... 2008 IPL, where we really didn't know what was going to happen. And boom, 
basketball happened on day one, and that was it. 15 years, and we still are talking about basketball. The third test starts on Wednesday morning in India. The organizers must be hoping that they get to sell tickets for the weekend as well. In any case, the WPL starts on Saturday, so cricket fans will have something to follow anyway. Hope you enjoyed our crystal ball gazing for the indoor test and musings about women's T20 cricket. Would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast. And also, please do tell your friends about it. This podcast, which is called Cricket with the West Coast Infidels, is available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone.